You're listening to The Perth Property Show, Australia's only weekly property podcast by West Australian experts for West Australian listeners. Catch your latest episode every Monday at 7am. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Perth Property Show. My name is Trent Fleskins, your host as always, and this is our 150th episode. I'm super proud and excited to share the studio today with one of my best friends, Dave Gilbert, our Developments Manager at Strategic Surveying. You wouldn't believe it, but we've gone 150 episodes without discussing the role and profession of a surveyor. So no better person in WA to talk us through that than Dave. Dave, thanks for walking the 20 metres across the office to the studio to help us out with this chat. Yeah, no worries, mate. Congratulations as well. Thank you. It's been a really fun ride, 150 weeks in a row. We haven't missed one single Monday and hopefully everyone listening has really enjoyed all the content we put out across all the professionals we bring into the studio. Let's get into surveying. And as I said, really surprised that we've spoken about subdivision, we've spoken about apartment development, building, construction, development in different spaces. We've never actually just spoken about the profession of being a surveyor and how we as clients, small-time developers, big-time developers need surveyors to get things millimetre perfect so that our buildings are compliant and our levels are properly retained. Yes, uh, surveying as a profession, it's been around for thousands of years. Put very simply, it's just trigonometry that's used to help people build things. Now, you know? Whenever you see a surveyor, it's a fellow with high vis generally, and a tripod that looks like a professional photography camera. A lot of people wave. Yeah, they think they're getting taken a photo of, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it's not that, is it? No, no. So it's uh, be recording an angle, offering an azimuth. Hang on, you just used a word that I reckon 99% of us wouldn't understand. What's an azimuth? Well, in surveying, it's going to depend on what we're doing. Very basically, we just say it's a start point for our angle to turn off of. That will be the same for everyone that's going to be in the Perth area. So we turn off the angle and then the other part of the jigger which is what we usually refer to the total stations will be a laser that shoots the distance and that's you know a laser that's so light travels over a distance and the time's recorded and that's how we know how far it's gone okay so you're essentially pointing the the camera if i can call it at a certain object and recording at what angle it is and how far away it is and doing that a hundred times over a site and that's generally going to provide all the information you need for a whole range of services right a whole range of purposes yeah, and it depends on what that's going to be used for is how we then process that data later on. So, for example, if we do a very big laser scanning, which is becoming more popular now, you know, lots of people think it's a great idea, but the problem is is that it's too much information that they just don't really require. Mm. Uh, it's too much processing as well. So it just depends on what the purpose is going to be to what information we, we pick up. Now, surveyors, as I mentioned before, they're used for a range of reasons, right? They've got a range of services. But let's start back before we get into those as to how a young fella would start his career and become a surveyor. Do you need to go to university, get yourself a degree? Is there a licensing scheme? How does it work? So there's two main education pathways that you can take. So it could be either through as a diploma, so through TAFE, or through a university degree. So the university degree is a four-year degree. You've done that, haven't you? Yes. Or you can do a, a mine surveying one, which is shorter. It's three years. The reason for that is because there's a larger practical component to it. But they're both very similar in terms of the basic understanding that we get taught. So after you have your degree, you can go off and do any sort of surveying that you want to apart from cadastral, so we can't do any property stuff. Um, The reason for that is in order to do any sort of cadastral surveying, we require a licence, which is uh, provided by the licensing board in WA. In order to do that, there's five practical components or assignments that you need to do, and that just ensures that 
we get experience in a range of different areas. So for example, rural surveys or big land subdivisions. And then at the end of that, there's a practical component that you do. You can then become a licensed surveyor. It's just like a driver's license. You've got X number of points, any mistakes. For example, if you're just drawing on like a subdivision plan and you label something wrong, you submit that to Landgate, you'll lose points. And that keeps the quality level in check, I guess. But And that's the point, right? So when we think about practically, where are we seeing the work from surveyors and more importantly, licensed surveyors? It's all the deposited plans, the survey plans, the green tunnel plans, all the land development plans, the actual ones that are sitting with Landgate, the originals there, the only people that have the ability to create those documents are licensed surveyors, right? That's correct, yeah. And that's why the profession is held so highly. Mm. Well, it's one of those ones where it is, again, it's millimetre perfect. And if it's not, you get in trouble. Yes, well, the funny thing about that is that our equipment that we have now is a lot more precise than the equipment that they would have had back in the days when they first surveyed Perth. Yeah, well, I've got a great example of that. I remember doing a development in Thornley about six, seven years ago, and everything looked hunky-dory. There was still a thousand square meters that I expected to have, but whoever did the surveying of that subdivision of Thornley back in the 50s was out by about a meter on where everything needed to be. So a part of the thousand square meters that I owned included the sidewalk. Yeah. Yeah. So there was a big debate between myself and the city of Gosnells as to, well, who owned that sidewalk? I obviously owned it, but they owned the asset. And what we were going to do about that when we subdivide the block, because someone made it a boo with the old equipment they had back in the 50s, and we now have to deal with that. That's obviously come a long way now with GPS and a lot of those technologies. Yeah, well, that would have been even further back than that. So they would have just had a chain, chain and links. Yeah. So depending on what the temperature was, that you know, expands the change and makes it longer. And that's a lot of the, the problem solving and also what I would say is the artist part of surveying is deciding on how we're going to allocate those deficiencies and excesses that we find in those old surveys. How do you fix them? Exactly. And that's another point is that you think about Perth, it's hundreds of thousands of Tetris patchworks of people who have gone out and done a specific survey of a specific block and that may match up to an estate that was created decades ago. How does a surveyor come to a site and know the exact millimetre they have to start from to make sure that their survey work matches in with the guys next door and the guy next to him? How do they do that? We'll go back to how it was originally first created, so the original street block. The whole street block will have, say, for example, four corners. Those corners would actually be marked in the ground with iron spikes that are placed in the ground. Now, it's actually those iron spikes that have been placed which determine the length of that street block. So even if it says X amount of distance, it's the physical ground components where they actually lay that position. The reason for that is that, for example, if you build a wall or you've got all the houses in that position, in the future as we become more precise in the technology that we have and the equipment that we have, the distance is going to change, but the position of those original iron spikes stay the same. I've got two questions for you on that. Firstly, you said that things move over time. If metal can move over time, so can the road. I'm assuming it would be able to expand and contract, and therefore I'm assuming as well that that peg would move slightly. How do we solve that problem? And secondly, could we just walk out to the street now and go for a look and probably find one of these pegs on our corner? The original spikes are going to be a foot under the ground. Okay, And they, and they, they do get taken out uh, when utilities and different services are put in. But that's also a part of the, the surveying is so finding those original marks and then comparing them to each other to see if any of them have moved significantly compared to the others. 
it's not just a, a purely numbers game. It's also about uh, decision-making and problem-solving, deciding on which ones are actually correct, which ones are not. Mm. Uh, if you're lucky enough that some good surveyor has already come through and done that work for you, you can just check on the work that he's already done. So you might say that, well, that spike's missing. It's not in the ground. Here's his measurements. We compare it to what they've done previously. And if they coincide, well, then we can determine that they're, they're correct. That's your reference point. That's your reference point. Okay. Well, let's talk property more specifically then with regards to surveying because the same concepts you've spoken about there with regards to a property also relate to mining and, and many that's that's how it works in surveying right we're applying it to property let's talk about how we use surveyors as small time or big time property developers doesn't matter who we are we all need surveyors the first product that most of us would be used to engaging you for would be a feature and contour survey can you explain what that is yeah, so it would be a site plan that would be required for any of your development applications or your designs. And essentially what it is, it's just a 2D representation of the features and levels of that lot, placing it onto a piece of paper and saying, well, this is what's there on the lot, giving that to a designer so they can determine you know, what they need to do for the house designs. Do we need to do any sort of retaining? Are there anything that's going to be in the way? Uh, and that's going to be your, your very base starting point. It's going to be, well, what does a lot look like mm. at the start? And you know, obviously there you can understand where the house is, where the fences are, and are they aligned with the actual boundaries? And that's something that comes up all the time, right? I think a lot of people expect generally that where their fence is, is where their property line is. But often it's not the case, is it? No. In the actual cadastral components, the fence does not actually have to be placed on the lot boundary. So the fence line can be determined or agreed between both owners and then the, the boundaries can stay the same. The reason that most fences won't be placed near the actual boundary or the physical cadastral boundary is because no one wanted to pay for a surveyor to go out there and peg it. Mm, so the guy who was the fencing trader just went out there and had a guess. Yeah. yeah lined it up with something that was already there maybe. Yeah. And then if both owners don't have an issue with it, then there's no need to go and pay the additional money for the original surveyor to go back out there. When you look at a feature survey, there's a lot of numbers on there. You might see 38.1, 39.6, 38.4, dotted all over the map. That's our levels. But what do the numbers actually mean? It depends on what datum they've used for those levels. So it could be the Australian height datum, which is a common level all across of Australia. That's meant to be approximate of the mean sea level. And that should give you an idea of that there's one lot down the street and there's one at the other end of the street. You can then compare those two levels together. The other alternative is that it would just be a relative datum. So that's where we've gone out to the move for now into the road, and we've just called that you know, 10 metres or 50 metres. And then everything other level is just relative to that one in the road. So is it possible that if my survey has the number 38.4 on it, does that mean that it's possibly 38.4 metres above sea level? Yeah, as approximation. Yeah. If it, that's if it really says, cool to think about. If it says AHD a on it. Yeah. Yeah, and you've got to understand what is that feature survey for? So most feature surveys are just used for that pre-planning stage. A lot of the features are going to be removed from the lot. So there's no Because we're demolishing them. you're demolishing it yep. and you're going to be building a new house. So there's no reason why you would overdo all the street boundaries or the alignments or grab all the features next door neighbouring if you're only using that feature survey for one purpose, which is just design, mm. because it's going to change. You use the word called alignment. I want to segue that into the next service that a surveyor can provide, and that's providing an alignment survey. Yep. Now, how is that different? So an alignment survey is where we go out and we re-establish those original marks in order to determine the boundaries. So those pegs that are a foot under the ground, we go and find them. 
and we use that as the specific point from which we reference where to the millimeter our house is rather than maybe approximately where our house is on the boundary. Yeah, so that's how we go and do a, a boundary reestablishment survey. We actually peg out the lot boundary. So we do an alignment survey, which is a portion of that. For a feature survey, you might not do an alignment survey. The reason being is that the approximate GPS coordinates, which we can't use legally to reestablish the boundaries, so we have to do an alignment survey, but those GPS coordinates may be sufficient enough for your planning. Yeah. But the alignment survey, perfect example, we're looking to a house behind a house subdivision, keep the front house and maybe we're not sure whether it's 2.9 metres from the boundary or 3.05 and that's really important because the WAPC rule is you have a minimum of 3 metres as that side setback for driveway access, right? So if we're not 100% sure it's definitely over 3, we want us to get ourselves in alignment to make sure to the millimetre how far away we are, right? Yeah, we need to ensure that that survey is fit for purpose. Mm. So if you're going to be doing a design that where you're thinking of keeping an existing dwelling and you think your proposed boundary is going to be near the dwelling, well, then strongly recommend that you get that alignment done now with the feature survey because in that way you know exactly where that house is located within relation to those boundaries. Yep. If you're going to be doing a full demo of the site, then there's, unless there's going to be a future house design is going to be on boundary as well and your neighbour's got an on boundary house, you might not worry about doing the alignment. Not really needed. Not really at, needed. At this point in time. So those services there, the feature survey, for example, would help us as a foundation for our building plans or for our subdivision application. The alignment survey there helps us specifically figure out how far away something is from a boundary, uh, especially when we're talking about a house behind a house situation where you're retaining the house. What about when we get the pegs out? What about when doing a subdivision survey where you look at a site and there's all these wooden pegs in the ground with pink ribbons coming off them? What's going on there? Yeah, to do an actual subdivision pegging, so establishing where those proposed boundaries are going to be for the subdivision, part of that would be an alignment survey which you may or may not have done with the feature survey. So we go out, reestablish the lot boundaries, determine what that excess and deficiency is. And then once we know what the actual original lot size is, we can then place those new boundaries inside those, those lots. These are wooden stakes that should really be sitting in a Dracula movie. What's going on here? There's, you've got the long skinny ones and the short fat ones. What's happening? The stakes are actually just an indicator of where the pegs are going to be because most often you want to make sure that your pegs are going to be flush with ground level. Uh, that just ensures that they don't get kicked or disturbed and the stake's going to be an indicator saying that it's nearly there. Okay, so the peg is the short fat one? Yeah, and that's the one that actually indicates where that position is. That's where the actual boundary corners are, for example. Mm -hmm. And the stakes, the long skinny ones and they may be offset off the boundary sometimes? They could just be offset from the, the peg to make sure that you can't place them right next to the peg because as soon as you do that, you're starting to move it. Mm. Or if you place your pegs in the ground as an offset, they would be written on it saying it's a 500 mil offset or X amount offset. Okay. When a licensed surveyor is going out there, and I'll reiterate, this is a licensed surveyor that's providing this specific service. You don't have to be licensed to do a feature survey you do have to be licensed to provide this establishment survey with the pegs. What happens if the next day a kid drives past with his bicycle and kicks the pegs out? Has the survey already done work to establish that and the pegs don't have to be there anymore? What happens there? So the, the surveyor, as soon as he puts the pegs in, he'll go back and then process that and then he'll prepare a subdivision plan that shows where those actual marks were placed. That plan is only a representation of when the marks were placed. So if they are moved later on, that's fine. It's nothing to do with the subdivision at all. It's just that if you want to use that mark, you're going to have to get the surveyor to go back out there and replace it. Mm. And using that mark is really important because a big part of doing a subdivision includes establishing clearances. 
especially for services like the installation of a green dome with Western Power. The amount of times we've had issues there where the installer of the green dome walks out there and says, oh, we haven't got an establishment peg there to understand what our clearance is. It can slow things down massively, can't it? And that's usually why we like to take a photo of the pegs when we installed them, just say, well, this is where we placed them originally. And that's just a confirmation for anyone that goes back out there later on. When we think about the cost of these services, some people would be surprised about what it does cost to undertake these services. And maybe we can run through them quickly. A feature survey, what would that normally cost in the industry as a median? Again, it's going to be fit for purpose. It depends what you want to do. So if you've got a vacant site, it may be as little as you know, $350, depending on how close the surveyor is. Majority of that cost is to call that fee in time to just, just go out there. Uh, if you're doing an alignment survey, a feature survey in a very dense populated lot or lots of features, then you may be looking up to $2,000. Mm. So it just depends on what, what you need, need to do. Then we get the licensed surveyor out to get those pegs in the ground. The service there for that actual work would be what somewhere in mid 2000s that three thousand dollars yeah and it, that just depends on, on what you're, you're doing and the number of pegs that need to be placed as well in addition to that generally when we're doing a subdivision there are also a number of associated fees that we get stung by with regards to uh, government lodgement fees and that can really make the number add up quite quickly if we haven't already prepared for it what, what would they be for example if you're doing a subdivision plan as far as going to pay the lot he's then drawn up your survey strata plan or depositor plan, the lodgement fee to the land gate for that plan alone is going to be $500 plus. That's a cost that would usually be included or an additional cost depending on what the quote was from the, the surveyor. You have to get a valuer out as well. If you're doing a survey strata or a strata plan, you get a licensed surveyor to determine what the unit time it is. The last thing I wanted to talk about there is just be very clear about what we're actually getting as a product. What can we can see at the end of the day for these services? With a feature and contour survey, as you said, an A4 page that has all the levels on there and every single feature, it's not 100% correct. It's probably 99% correct because we haven't used the uh, reference point of that steel peg in the ground somewhere on the street. The alignment survey, specifically referencing generally a point-to-point -point situation to establish exactly where a feature is to the millimeter. And then when we get the license surveyor out to get the pegs in the ground, what is he producing there and how can we find that document? Because that's the one that Landgate sits with, right? Yeah, so that's your subdivision plan. So it'd be a deposit plan, survey strata plan or strata plan. That's lodged with Landgate. You can order them from Landgate the same way that you order your certificate titles. And that is essentially when you go and buy a property, you have your certificate of title. Behind that, there will be a plan. Often the plans are quite old. They look like they've been photocopied of a, a hand-drawn plan, mm -hmm. which is quite cool. But these days with the newer subdivisions, they will be that more that electronic CAD drawing, right? Yeah, it, it's a digitized form. So the actual raw data when we receive it, the plan is actually drawn inside the Landgate portal, so online now. So originally it was a CAD software program. You would upload that as a PDF. Now it's actually technically drawn within the Landgate portal. And that's the reason why it's important to make sure that your boundaries are correct at the start because you don't want to go back and have to do another survey to change those boundaries because you're essentially doing everything again. You're putting the pegs in and you're doing a new upload of what those actually are in the Landgate portal. We've spoken a lot about subdivision, but I do want to get back to the profession of surveying itself. As you said, it's been around for thousands of years. Where's it going to be in the next 10, 20, 30 years with all this technology assisting us? It's a very interesting question and sometimes it may be a bit of an unknown, but foresee it to be that surveyors are required to be a bit more of a consultant side of things. They're providing more planning advice. They're doing a lot more applications. So even though the technology is making their work 
easier in terms of picking up the raw data. There's more of a office time that's being associated with it. So, I mean, we, we may be seeing that surveyors are, are pushing more towards a, a, a planning drafting perspective. Well, you do. You see a lot of surveyors these days also offer subdivision project management and town planning style services, don't we? Yeah, and that's just because they're exposed to a lot of that experience. Well, they're such associated industries, aren't they? They are, they are. And it's only know what you've been taught. So if you're in an industry that gets exposed to a lot of these different things, well, then you end up picking them up as time goes through. Dave Gilbert, thank you so much for your time here today. It's been a really good chat talking about surveyors. And thank you for being a part of episode 150. No, thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Perth Property Show. If you've only just joined the conversation, you can catch up by heading over to our website, perthpropertyshow.com.au, subscribing to the podcast or joining our Facebook page. Don't forget to tune in next Monday at 7am for more expert insights, local analysis and suburb spotlights. Happy hunting!